My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened with sin and distress, till I heard a sweet voice saying, make me your choice, and I entered the song, isn't it? Yeah, fellas, if you would, come on up. I get so used to just throw the Bible in there and get started, but <clears throat> they're going to drop this thing again tonight. We're going to continue with our series, The uh, Great Miscalculations and Mistakes. Great Miscalculations and Mistakes. And so we'll get that going here in just a moment. Go ahead, fellas, you can pop that up there if you like. Uh, make sure uh, they... <clears throat> oh, wait a second. Let me grab this out of here. There it is. All right. All right, we're good. All right, great miscalculations and mistakes. And uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 4 again. That's kind of where we're at. You can bring that back if you would, Caleb. That'd be great. That way we don't... There, that's perfect. Thank you, John. All right. <clears throat> Romans 15, 4. 
For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And uh, we're talking about great miscalculations. Notice 1 plus 1 equals 3. Well, that's a miscalculation, that's for sure. But uh, we want to talk about some miscalculations and mistakes in the Word of God, things that people did or things that people, the conclusions they came to that ended poorly. We want to learn from their mistakes, amen? So what we did was, over the last few weeks, we talked about, uh, first of all, Eve. We said that Eve believed Satan's lie that God was holding back blessing. And we made that clear. We noted that from the Word of God. Again, uh, that God's not good. I mean, He really is withholding the best that He has for you. And, uh, boy, that was a lie. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, Eve, you know, really made a mistake. And she believed the lie of Satan and ultimately took a, partook of the fruit. Then we saw Cain. And Cain envied his brother and ultimately blamed him for his uh, circumstances. He would not take responsibility for himself or his actions. And we saw that he got pretty upset about things, and ultimately he killed his very brother. And the reason he killed him, of course, because, you know, his offering was righteous and uh, Cain's was not. And he was just jealous, very jealous of his brother. And it cost uh, his brother's life, and it cost Cain his future to some degree. Say, well, he lived. Yeah, I know, but he was a marked man, remember? Number three... We talked about Lot. We said that Lot made the mistake of thinking that he could get close to the world without the world rubbing off on him. He thought he could flirt with sin and still remain spiritual. Well, that was a lesson to be learned, isn't it? Well, we've got to be so careful we don't rub shoulders with the world, that we don't rub shoulders with, with sin. We've got to be so careful. Why? Because it, it, it rubs off. Uh, if uh, I had been working on a car today, uh, and uh, got grease all over this jacket, and I rubbed up against Cody or something, he'd get grease on him. And that's exactly what happened. He went on down there to Sodom and uh, unfortunately got too close to sin, and it rubbed off on him and his family. It ultimately cost him his family as well. And then number four, <clears throat> we saw that we talked about Abraham. We said Abraham grew impatient with God, took matters into his own hands. Fortunately, none of us have ever done that. But... Uh, there's certainly evidence of it in Abraham's life, and we learned that it can cost a great deal. And it created tremendous confusion in his home and his family. And uh, you know what? It, it costs the same thing when we do that. When we get a little anxious and we start to take matters in our own hands, instead of waiting on the Lord, being of good comfort, waiting on his strength and his leadership and guidance, well, we just throw everyone and everything in a mess if we're not careful there, okay? So we noted those things. Now tonight we want to pick back up with some, and we're just going to look at some, a couple new ones, all right? Just to kind of refresh, our, not, just kind of dig into the Bible just a little bit and see what we can learn from Aaron tonight. We'll see what we can learn from Aaron. He'll be our first, our first uh, I guess, uh, culprit. Let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get started. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together. We don't have a lot of time tonight, but what time we do have, we want it to be profitable. We want it to be very practical, Lord. And so I'm asking you, Lord, just to speak to our hearts and work in our lives tonight. Thank you for these that have gathered here, Lord. I know they have a desire to hear from heaven. They want to learn from your word. They want to truly glean from you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for all that you do for us. Father, uh, I just pray now, Father, that you'd meet needs tonight. And, and Lord, may we just truly learn something that will enable us, Lord, to respond in a more practical and a more spiritual way next time. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> now, Aaron, Exodus chapter 32. Let's turn there, if you would, please. Exodus chapter 32. 
We're going to be, read just the first four verses there. Exodus chapter 32. <clears throat> and do I have somebody to read those four verses? Uh, Brother Dean raised his hand really fast. I mean, wow, he was on it tonight. Go ahead, Brother Dean. Stand up and read those for me, would you please? Those first four verses, Exodus chapter 32, please. And when the people saw that... <clears throat> For a moment there when he said, uh, these be thy gods, I thought Charleston Heston showed up. <clears throat> Sounded with that deep voice. These be thy gods. I was like, wow, Charleston showed up. I was like, wow, where's he at? But anyway, <clears throat> that was good. Moses has been in the mount for 40 days now. And of course, we know that he went up there to meet with the Lord. And of course, he's, uh, you know, getting the law. And so he's been up there for 40 days and... Uh, I mean, of course, the people had been traveling through the wilderness and so forth. Here he is now, 40 days. They become restless. They become concerned. They get a little bit uh, nervous again. And, 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 you know, that's how God's people are. Let's face it. We get nervous and restless. Ebola. How's that make you feel? You know, some people are freaking out, folks. They are literally losing their minds uh, over this issue. I mean, two or three people in the whole United States have it, but we've lost our mind. You say, but it's right next door. Two or three people in the entire United States have Ebola. Now, that's what I'm saying. There's 300 and how many million people in America? Three people, two people. Now, listen, let's be careful. Let's not lose our minds yet. Now, there may be a time where we might have to lose our minds, okay? And maybe we'll be, like, freaking out. I don't know. But all I'm saying is right now, let's not go there yet, okay? Let's, let's just calm down a little bit, catch our breath. We're impatient people, though. We want answers now. Now, I'm working on something, okay? Here's what I'm working on. I'm working on trying to get somebody in the medical field to come here and answer questions for our church. Because I know some of you are really probably worried about this. Okay? You say, are you worried about it? Well, I've thought about it. You know what I thought about? Can I tell you what I thought about? I thought about this. I thought, I hope our people don't stop coming to church before they stop going to work. That's what I thought today. I hope our people don't stop coming to church before they stop going to work. You say, what do you mean? If you're not going to stop going to work, you ought to come to church. That's all I'm saying. That's what I thought. And then I thought, boy, I tell you what, it gets bad enough, we might have to have online giving. And then we'll, we'll, we'll live stream our, our preaching. I'll get in here and I'll preach. And you'll see it on this live stream. And you're being fed. And you'll send your money in. I mean, it's your home. You're not going to stop paying your bills at your house, are you? Well, there's bills to be paid at the church. Somebody says, that's nuts. No, I'm just telling you how I'm thinking. I mean, my tithe still got to come to the Lord's house, even if I'm not at the house, because it's my home, my church home, okay? But we get anxious about things, 
And I'm saying, there was no different in those days. There were just people like you and I. And sometimes we're really hard on those people, aren't we? You know, we're, we're tough on the Old Testament, you know. We look at those guys and gals and we say, what's their problem? And, you know, they did. They saw things and they experienced things. And we think, man, if I'd have seen that, if I'd experienced that, there is no way I would have been ready to throw rocks at Moses and kill Moses and do away with Aaron and all these guys. No, man, I'd have been right in there, man. I'd have been their best backer. I don't know sometimes. I think we've experienced some things. And, boy, I'll tell you what, life throws some curves at us. And if we're not careful, we can get like them. You know, we, we get a little bit restless and we get concerned about things. And, boy, if we're not careful... Like they did. Watch what happens. In the midst of a difficult time, mind you, Aaron and the people turned from God to an idol. And that's something. In the midst of a difficult time, they turned from God to an idol. Now, that's just amazing. Bad times, you would think, would direct our attention toward God. But that's not always the case, is it? You know, we often say, well, when things are going good, you know, people just get away from God because they just start to, you know... They get, they get light, you know, in their area. They're not dependent on the Lord. But I, I've watched people when things get tough, a loss in a, of a family member. I, I've seen when sickness or illness comes or somebody in the family gets ill or sick. And instead of turning to God, instead of wanting to be closer to the Lord, it seems that they move away from God. And I've often wondered, why is that? I don't know that I have all the answers, but what I do know is the people of God in, in, in Moses' day did the exact same thing. Things got tough for them, and instead of it drawing or directing their attention toward God, it moved it away. Now, God speaks in the mount, and he warns Moses. What's he say to him? Well, in Exodus 32, 8, he says, They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They've made them a molten calf and have worshipped them and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. That's amazing to me. Isn't that amazing to you? I mean, I mean, really. I mean, these, these folks here had witnessed the most amazing supernatural acts in history. I mean, think about that. I mean, we're talking about God doing supernatural works. They saw it firsthand. I mean, these weren't their kids, and this wasn't the, the generation after that. These were literally, literally, the people that were in Egypt that saw the miracles, experienced them firsthand. They literally walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. But as soon as things weren't comfortable, as soon as they were no longer convenient, they're running back to the gods of Egypt. Isn't that amazing? Now, I don't know about you, but that, that does, I, I have a hard time. I'm thinking, how is that possible? Notice it says, quickly out of the way. They have turned aside quickly out of the way. It, it didn't take long. You know, we get the idea, you know, like, I just don't get how this happened. So fast. Well, that's how it works. We, people turn their back on God quickly all the time. Now, I understand there's a process, but hold on. Sometimes you've got to understand, I mean, what kind of process was this? I understand their hearts weren't all right completely all the way through. There was a mixed multitude and all. But the Bible says that they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. God has a way for us. It's found in the Word of God. And you know what he's saying? <clears throat> the people of God turned aside quickly out of the way. They walked away from this and they followed after man's wisdom. They saw after the world's wisdom. 
And you know what? That, that's so easy to do. Um, let me give you an example of that. <clears throat> a young fella says, man, I'm a Christian. I need to marry not only a Christian girl, but I need to marry a girl that's as, as faithful and as committed and devoted as I am to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, some girl comes to church and she's pretty. And he says, well, she's a Christian. She doesn't always come back on Wednesday. She's not as faithful. Maybe she don't go soul winning. But she's Christian. I mean, that's all. The Bible says I got to marry me a Christian. Wait a second. What happened to that conviction you supposedly had? What just happened to that, that place that you had that is a biblical position? See, this, this unequally yoked together with unbelievers isn't just unbeliever and saved. This is about spirituality and level of commitment and devotion. I mean, what in the world do you want? You, you, you're going to marry somebody that may drag you back to a lower position spiritually? It's funny to me. I don't, I don't get stuff like that. You say, well, the man's supposed to take her to the next level. Well, he should take his wife to the next level. But I'm not responsible to take every girl that I date to the next level. I mean, I should be looking for somebody I can marry to start with. Hey, listen, we turn aside from God quickly. And we follow after the world and the things of the world and the ideology of the world. It's just quickly. I mean, this guy was faithful in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. This guy's serious about the Lord, man. I mean, he's maybe even committed to being a preacher. Next thing you know, he's dating a girl that's not even faithful in church all the time. How's that possible? Just the same way it was here. They've turned aside quickly out of the way, which I commanded them. You say you're discriminating? Absolutely. God does. God says there's not... Listen, young men, if a young lady's not as faithful as you are to God's house and have a heart like you have... Let me tell you something. She's way below you. Don't have nothing to do with her. If she doesn't obey her parents, she's got an attitude. If she wears her dresses too high, she doesn't look like a Christian, act like a Christian, smell like a Christian, and act like one all the time. Listen, have nothing to do with her. Be a friend to her. Be kind to her. Don't laugh with her on the activities, but make up your mind. That's not the girl for me because God has something better than that for me. You say, that's not a nice way to say it. Well, too bad. You say it however you want. All I know is, is that I don't want these young men getting dragged down by some girl that's not what God wants for them. And you know what? It's easy to get quickly out of the way. Quickly out of the way. In his book, Contemporary Compromise, author John Getch states it this way. He says, when we move away from God, he moves away from us. It's not that he loves the world any less today than he ever has, or is less concerned in his love to mankind. But the distance is widening between God and man because of our rejection of him. In 2 Chronicles 15, 2b, it says, The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. He goes on, We may not think we are moving that far, but the distance doubles with every move. Think about that for a minute. The distance doubles with every move. One step becomes a series of changes, a walk becomes a run, and so on. Thus changes that seem small and incidental leave gaps that become, become canyons between God and man. And we are left to wonder how it all happens so fast. If, if I draw nigh to God, He draws nigh to me. But if I draw away, He draws away. That means we're moving twice as fast away from God than we even think. We can't afford to move away from God even a little bit because it creates a chasm. 
We've got to be so careful with that. Listen, parents, let, let me encourage you. Maintain your standards. Maintain your biblical convictions. Do not let the world dictate to you what you believe and what you don't. You better be real careful with that. Because, see, whether you want to believe this or not, your family's going to follow you wherever you lead them. And if you aren't leading them toward God, then you're leading them away from God. And remember, one step becomes a series. And like we always say, what the parents do in moderation, the children do in excess. Be so careful with that. Be careful. Isn't it sad to watch the change of attitude in families? Perspective in the Word of God, for instance. Well, I never, I never would have had alcohol in my, fa- in my home, but, you know, I just don't think there's really anything wrong with social drinking now. <clears throat> Nothing wrong. I mean, so what? There's a glass of wine at Christmas. Big deal. Your kids are watching that. Won't be one glass of wine at Christmas when they get old enough to drink. Folks, listen, you've you got to understand what we're teaching our kids. Watch what you're doing with them. It's important what we do. Because, as it says here, one step becomes a series, and the distance doubles. See, in, in the midst of a difficult time, Aaron and the people turned their back on God and turned to idols. Let me ask you, are there any golden calves in your life? Any golden calves? Wait, wait a second. Let me ask it this way. Is your Christianity any less strong than it was five years ago? Do you, do you lack convictions now that you had five years ago? Two years ago? I mean, what, what's cha- has anything changed in your life, in your home, in your attitude toward God, toward His Word, toward the house of God, the things of God? Were you stronger in your faith? Would you have been considered a little more fanatical then than you are now? Why is that? Why is that? You say, because I've learned that liberty is mine to possess. God isn't a God of rules and regulations. I didn't ask you that. I asked about your Christianity. I mean, are you really where you belong? You know what I'm talking about. And yeah, maybe there is some issues. If our heart gets corrupted, guess what? The outside does too. You can't separate the two. Are there things that you substitute for God or your faith in God? Okay, I give you a choice today. Give you a choice. You can make an extra $150 a week, or you can be in church on Sunday. What are you going to choose? You say, I'm choosing church. Really? But we'll let our kids work on Sunday. We'll let our kids work on Wednesday night when they don't even have to support a family. What's really most important? What are we teaching our kids is most important? Some say, whoa, wait wait a second. I didn't come here for that. No, I'm trying to help you tonight. Amen. I want you to understand that whether we realize it or not, <clears throat> sometimes we turn aside quickly out of the way. I'm just saying, well, sometimes we do that. We've got to be careful we don't compromise what we know to be truth. Amen. Are there things you substitute for God or your faith in God? Is money one of those things? <clears throat> Well, I know there's a guy at work I need to witness to. I've been trying to witness to him, but I'm afraid I'd lose my job if I actually talked to him at lunch even. Oh, so money's more important to you than his soul. Well, you're allowed to talk to people at lunchtime, whether you think you can or can. You're allowed to. 
But you know what? Sometimes that's more important to us than what God says is important to us. Let's think, let's think it through the way it really is. <clears throat> our family. Our family is sometimes more important to us than maybe it becomes a substitute for our faith in God or for God himself. That, that becomes a problem, too. It's amazing how many times people use their families as an excuse for neglecting God and his word or God in the house of God. Friends. We use friends. We turn to our friends before we turn to God sometimes. Well, who'd you talk to about that problem? Did you pray about it? Well, yeah, I did. Okay, I see. But how's come minutes after you found out the news, I saw a post on Facebook to all your friends on Facebook looking for advice. So you prayed, how long did you pray? About 30 seconds over at it? All I'm saying is, what are we really trusting? Who are we really trusting in? A lot of times we turn aside quickly. In the midst of hurt, heartache, in the midst of difficult times, immediately we turn from God. We look to other things, drugs, alcohol, vice. People turn to those things. Aaron miscalculated how quickly he could get away from God. Here's Aaron. He's the man of God. And literally, 40 days after Moses heads up into the, into the mount, the people say, make, make us a God. You know, come on, what are you doing, Aaron? We need someone, something to follow. It wasn't even about Moses. Moses is missing, so give us a new God. That's crazy, isn't it? They went from Moses not being there to needing another God. Turned aside quickly. And you know what? He made the mistake of turning to idols. Let's be careful that we don't get away from God. Let's check our every step, because one step is really double. It moves us away twice as fast. So let's be careful with that, okay? And then let's talk about Korah. Exodus 16, 1 through 13. Let's turn there. Who would I have would help me read? I'm going to have you read a couple of verses. Maybe, uh, let's see, 13. I'll tell you what, we'll do 7, then 6. 7, then 6. All right, who will read the first 7? <clears throat> who will do that? Okay, I'll read it. That'll be fine. And who will read the second 6? Okay, Mr. Jurgen will do that. All right. Let me find Exodus 16, and we'll get started on that. The Bible says there, I'll start reading verse 7. Then, Mr. Jurgen, you can do the last six for me, would you please? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb. Wait a second. I'm in the wrong place. I'm in 13. That would be helpful if I got in the right place. Here we go. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month after the departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died in the, the hand. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm concerned I'm in the wrong spot here. I must have wrote the wrong. It must be numbers. It is. It's got to be numbers. Is it? No, I'm reading Exodus 16, but it doesn't sound right to me. Am I reading the wrong spot? Gene, would you look at... You're in numbers. Thank you. See, I, so I said I thought it should be numbers. There we go. Yeah, I wrote it down wrong. I wrote it down wrong. I was going to say, Dean, I'm reading from uh, Exodus. I was thinking, that ain't right. Your Bible says something different. Okay, now, yeah, you were in the right spot, though, praise the Lord. Now, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of... That's why you didn't want to read this, did you? Because all these names. 
the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dothan, uh, Doth, uh, Dothan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, uh, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown, that gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face. He spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will shew who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him, even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do, take ye censers, Korah, and all of his, his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord. I'm reading, yeah, 7, verse 7. Uh, to, uh, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. Mr. Jurgen, verse 8, please. Thank you, Mr. Jurgen. We're talking about Korah. Korah rose up against God's anointed. He accused Moses and Aaron of having too much authority and elevating themselves before the people. In verse 3 of the book of Exodus, it says, And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Notice, against, against, against. There's a big difference. We're not coming, they're not coming to talk to him. They're not coming to get his advice. They're not talking, coming to even maybe throw some suggestions out. They're coming against him. Notice that. And said unto them, You take too much upon you seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. What he's basically saying is, who died and made you king? Who died and made you boss? And what in the world's going on here? I don't know who you think you are, Moses. We're all on equal ground here. Isn't that what he just said? He said, did, did he not say there? Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. He says, you take too much upon you. He even goes on to say this. He says, this is interesting to me. You take too much upon you, seeing that the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord's among them. The Lord's among them, just like He is with you. Who died and made you God, Moses. That's what he's basically saying. Fortunately, that never happens in churches. Fortunately, people never feel like they have a right to try to somehow usurp the authority of the pastor. Praise the Lord, they never feel that way. Korah and the others had their place in the service of the master, but here's the problem, they wanted Aaron's job. 
Oh, they had their job. They had their responsibility. Their God-given responsibilities. But they wanted Aaron's job. Oh, man, I mean to tell you, they wanted to be in the Holy of Holies. They wanted to have the right to meet God face to face. Hey, listen. Hey, what's the big deal, Moses? You and Aaron come around getting together thinking you're the only ones that have the answers, that it's got to be your way or the highway. Everybody else is holy just like you. God's with them just like he's with you. How's come you're the only one that can go in the Holy of Holies, Aaron? I mean, I've got my job. I get close to God, but I don't get to walk in the Holy of Holies. Hey, listen, I want that job. And I want that authority. And I, I, you know what? I don't mind somebody in charge. It just has to be me. It's a core saying. Number 16, 9. Moses tries to reason with these guys. He says, Seemeth, seemeth it but a small thing unto you that God, that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel? He says, don't you realize, Cor, you've already been separated? Don't you realize you already have been given a unique position and a unique spot? Isn't that enough? He goes, he goes to bring you near to himself and to do service to the tabernacle of the Lord. You get to serve in the tabernacle. You have the awesome privilege. He goes, and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them? You get to be a servant to the congregation. You minister to God in the tabernacle and you get to be a minister of the congregation. What an opportunity, Korah. And he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the priesthood also? So now that's not enough for you. You've got to have the priesthood too. See, they pretended to be so spiritual. Everybody wants to blame God for everything. Well, we're all. Hey, everybody, don't you think Moses is taking too much on himself? Don't you think Aaron's just a little bit too much about himself? I mean, come on, we're all, you're all spiritual. You're godly too. God's with you too. So they're trying to act spiritual now and trying to help everybody else understand how spiritual they are. See, I'm on your side. I'm not trying to be standing over you with my heel on your neck. Moses and Aaron. They pretend to be so spiritual while they were scheming and plotting to take over. If they had really been in tune with God, they would have realized that God was in it all along. Was not God in it all along? Oh, this wasn't as much about position as it was power. Dothan and Abiram, two of the conspirators, made this statement. They said, it's a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? What they're saying is basically, it's bad enough that you let us out of the land that floweth with milk and honey, Egypt. Egypt? What, really, was it that good in Egypt? Weren't they slaves in Egypt last time I checked? I thought that's what they were. I thought that they were struggling even to have food. I thought they were having a hard time. Their children weren't getting educated and life wasn't going that well. But all of a sudden now, it's bad enough that you let us out of the land that, uh, land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in this wilderness. That's bad enough. That's so bad. But even worse, now you make yourself a dictator and a prince over us. <laughs> like it doesn't just, the hits just keep on coming. Thanks a lot, Mo, uh, Moses, Aaron. Thank you very much. You took us out of this land. You want to kill us. And now, 
on top of all of it. Now you want to be a dictator, a prince over us. See, pride was the real fuel behind this mutiny on the bounty. It was pride. It was arrogance. They were upset because they weren't given enough authority. That's all there was to it. They wanted something they were not given. And, and what did they do? They, they thought in their mind, they made a big grave error here. They said, obviously, this is his pride. That Moses is arrogant. That Moses is prideful. That Aaron, arrogant and prideful. And you know what? God's not in this. Because if God were in it, things would be the way I think they should be. If God was really in it, it'd be the way I think it should be. That's called pride. There's nothing unscriptural going on here, of course. Nothing unethical going on here, of course. But because it wasn't the way they thought it should be, Moses was out of the will of God. And he was just a self-appointed dictator. Pride is always a problem. In Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16, 25 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto the, a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We like to look at that and we like to talk about that from the perspective of lost men and women. But may I say to you that Christian people, too, fall into the category sometimes. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man. When we get out of the spirit and we get in this flesh, everything seems right in our perspective. And it often leads to death in a sense. Leviathan, speaking, Leviathan, speaking of Leviathan, which is none other than Satan himself. Now you can go ahead and believe he's a little crocodile, a little gator running around. You can believe whatever you want. But that, you, you don't haven't read your Bible, nor have you really studied it out. I challenge you to study the Leviathan, who it really is. Don't read some stupid commentary. It says he's some alligator that breathes fire. Are you kidding me? Uh, people kill me when they say stuff like that. I don't think they even read the Bible. I tried to look for a picture of Leviathan to throw it up here, but they were all showing little alligators running around. And I thought, I can't do that. Job 41, 34. He beholdeth all high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. Yeah, alligators are always, you know, they're always king over all the children of pride. Yeah. There's a little more going on here than that. Listen, he's a king over all the children of pride. Leviathan is. Satan is. Watch this then. When I'm, when I'm functioning in pride, then I'm saying he is my king. Satan's my king. And don't think for a minute that Korah wasn't being led or directed by another king other than God. Because we see the outcome, as we said. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Moses tries to explain to them. He says, and Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. See, that's what Korah really thought, didn't he? Again, if this was the way God wanted it, it would be the way I think it should be. This Moses has stepped up and made him a self-appointed dictator. He's made himself a prince over us. Not only has he led us out of Egypt, not only has he allowed us to come out here to die when we had it so good in Egypt, but now he's appointed himself the leader. Like, he's the only one that knows what God wants for us. That's what Korah did. And... Moses, you know that's what he did because this is how Moses defended it. For I have not done them of mine own mind. This was not my idea, Korah. This was not my idea. This was God's idea. This is what God wants. Korah, in his pride, 
made the mistake of opposing God's man. He failed to see God's hand in everything and viewed it as through carnal eyes. He miscalculated the cost of his pride. And that's the danger. See, how many churches have been split because somebody in the church thought they had a better way than the pastor? It wasn't unethical what he was doing. It wasn't unscriptural what the pastor was doing. It's just it wasn't the way they wanted it. And so they got a group of people together like Korah did, sometimes princes of the congregation, and said, he takes too much on himself. You say, you're not allowed to preach that. You're the pastor. You should have a, an evangelist in to do that. No, I'm going to teach the whole counsel of God, so I'm trying to spare you a lot of problems because in the end we're going to find out who really paid the price for this, this miscalculation. And they said, he takes too much on himself. He thinks... He knows everything. Well, what, what do you mean? Is, he unscript, is there something he's doing unscriptural? That's not the point. That's not what we're talking about now. We're just talking about he thinks he knows everything. He's always wanting to tell us what to do. He's always, it's like it's always got to be his standards. It's always got to be his program that he's, how come we can't do this without asking him first? He makes himself a prince over us. It was so much better before he showed up. Boy, how many churches? Uh, I leave this place one day. Whether I leave or whether I go to heaven from here. Somebody comes in this place, starts doing things a little different. It's not unscriptural, maybe. It's not unethical. It's not unbiblical. Somebody says, oh, he comes in here and he's changing some things. I don't understand why we got to have soul winning on Wednesday afternoon. I don't understand that doesn't make any sense. Who's he think he is? I mean, we're spiritual too. God's with us too. And so he gets along and says, Hey, brother, you really think you agree with the pastor on this thing? You really think he should have the right to change everything the way he wants it? I mean, okay, oh, well, no, no, we're not talking about the Bible right now. We're talking about just, does he th- who's he think he is? Pretty soon, yeah, you know what, you're right. That doesn't make sense. I mean, he ought to listen to us. You get about 8, 10, 12, 15, maybe 30, 40, 50, maybe even 100 people. I represent the church. Pastor, we think you, you know, you've made yourself a prince over us. You better be careful before you do that. You be real careful. If God literally called that man to this position, this pulpit one day, I don't care who he is, and I don't care how much you think he should be here or not, if God put him here, you better be careful before you go and attack him. Because let me tell you what happens. Look what happens in number 16. And this isn't as funny about God. We're going to close this out. But isn't this funny how this always works in the Bible? And yet we never get this. Almost every time a man, a father, a husband, makes a bad decision, we see it costing everybody their lives. Dad, husband tonight, let me tell you something. You be real careful the decisions you make because they will indeed affect your whole family. Good, bad, or indifferent. Number 16, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their horses and all the men that have pertained unto Korah and all their goods. You know what that means? Lost their homes, their servants, their families, their children, everybody swallowed up in the, by the earth. And the Bible goes on to say, 
they and all that they appertained, uh, appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. Can I tell you what happened after that? This is interesting to me. Do you realize that when that happened, there were a number of people in the congregation again, Israel, that got upset with Moses and Aaron as though they were the ones that did that to them. So they got mad at Aaron and Moses again. You know what God did then? God said, fine, you people want to be stiff-necked, hard-hearted? Let me just send a plague. Over 14,000 people died. Until finally they said, whatever you want, Aaron. Whatever you want, Moses. If that's what God wants, let's go. Now, churches aren't dictatorships. Let me tell you something. It's usually not that a pastor, at least in this day and age, okay, maybe 30, 40 years ago, it was worse. It's usually not that pastors are dictators. It's usually that we're so carnal today that we want things our way. It's not that, it's not that we don't, and listen, we know that there needs to be leadership. We just want it to be our leadership. Be real careful with that. Someone says, what are you, you setting yourself up? I'm not setting myself up for nothing. But let me tell you this, if indeed, if I am the man of God, for Community Baptist Temple, you need to be real careful. If you believe there's a God in heaven that's put me here. Now listen, I try to be as gracious as I can be. You go ahead, you, you check churches out. You, you check them out. You talk to people that went to other churches, that have had other pastors, and you see, you ask them. You'll, they'll say, no, and most, I've, I've had them tell me this. No, our pastor is gracious, he's kind, he's considerate, he's loving. But let me tell you something. That, no matter how kind a pastor is, no matter how considerate he is, no matter how often he surrenders authority to people, there's going to be somebody, it seems like, that wants to complain because they think they know better. Be careful. Cora sets an example for us there. You got an issue? Come talk to the pastor. He's just a man too. But don't go against him. Come talk to him. Share your ideas. Maybe you got a good one. Boy, do we, we know we need them around here. You can get people saved. You can find a way to reach out to our community and make an impact and a difference. A way to maybe encourage our people better. And you find the solutions, not just give me the problems. Man, I'm listening, man. I'm all ears. I'm all ears. Doesn't necessarily mean we're going to do it just because you say it. But by the same token, I'm there to listen. I, I'll listen to it. I'll, maybe we might even imp, uh, implement it. Especially if you're willing to put forth the effort to make it happen. Man, that would even be better. But don't go against the man of God. Because if God is on his side, you're not fighting the man of God. You're fighting God. That's what we learn from Korah. We've got to be so careful. So Korah, in his pride, made the mistake of opposing God's man. But he failed to see God's hand in everything. And he viewed it through carnal eyes. He miscalculated the cost of pride. Don't let that happen. In your home, at work, at school, don't let your pride get in there. Don't oppose authority. Talk to authority. Encourage them. Express your desires, even your dislikes. Fine, no problem. Don't oppose them because they've been put there by God. You've got to be careful with that. Even, even those in authority, your mom and dad. Don't you oppose your mom and dad. 
You got a problem? Go talk to them. Don't oppose them. That's your pride sticking your head, ugly head up. And that's going to cost you in the long run, young men, young ladies. All right. So we got to be real careful. Father, we come to you. Lord, we thank you, Father, for just the privilege that we have, Lord, to um, just to uh, be a part of your work, your service. Lord, um, this, this principle can go across the board. Uh, Lord, you know, as parents, we want our children to submit to us. We want them to, uh, we want them to follow our leadership. And, 